If you've made the decision to call your bank on the phone, you've probably exhausted whatever other alternatives are. You've tried their app or their website to solve whatever it is you want. You can't find it. So you're calling in to finally talk to a human. And when you end up having to deal with computers for the next five minutes, that's very frustrating. Your people know where your customers are experiencing friction. You know, if you, if you have a, a call center or people who are supporting the customers or the branch people who interact on a one-to-one -one basis, uh, if you ask them, what annoys our customers? They'll tell you. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to episode 298 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Ross Slater to the show. Ross is a partner and vice president at Reach Capabilities, Inc., a Toronto-based consulting company that helps individuals and organizations build their capabilities, enhance growth, and maximize results. Ross is also an accomplished facilitator, coach, and certified consultant for Clifton Strengths, DISC, and Colby. Now, Audrey and I have talked about Colby, which is a key assessment that we use here at the Digital Growth Institute to help financial brands unlock the growth potential of people of leaders, of teams by gaining clarity into how they initiate and take action going all the way back to episode 124. And today, Ross and I are going to dive even deeper into how you can maximize the growth potential of people, particularly in the age of AI at your bank, at your credit union, or at your fintech. Welcome to the show, Ross. It is so good to share time with you today. Thanks so much, James Roberts. It's a pleasure to be here. Before we get into talking about all of these exponential opportunities to unlock what I'm looking at as exponential human growth potential for individuals and for teams throughout organizations, what is good in your world? It's always nice to start off on a positive perspective. Well, it's a fantastic start to the new year this year because last year was our best year ever revenue-wise, which is ironic since everyone was struggling and having some challenges. But, uh, you know, one of the silver linings of the pandemic was the switch to doing things digitally. Yeah. And it's been fantastic for our business. I remember talking with my business partner, who's also my husband. More on that if you want to know what it's like to live and work with somebody 24-7. Uh, <laughs> and so in, in January 2020, we were saying, you know, we need to figure out a way where we can expand our market that doesn't involve us going and doing live in-person presentations. It's not necessarily great for us, and it's not always economical for our clients. We just didn't know how to figure that out yet. Along comes the pandemic and it solves the problem for us where we don't have to educate people about going online. Everyone is online yes. and they have no choice about it. And so some of our clients that were like, we always want you in person whenever we can afford it, turned into, oh, like you can be virtual and we're good with virtual. So it you know it was a bit tough at the beginning, but then 2021 was this big virtual year and 2020 was, 2022 was a hybrid. So this year we're growing off of that wonderful progress and uh, and really excited about what that can do for us. 
a lot of change we have experienced as individuals, as teams, as organizations, going back to the start of this decade. And change can sometimes feel scary. It can feel complicated. It can feel frustrating and overwhelming, but it also opens up new opportunities. What opportunities did you experience thinking about just your own transformational journeys over the last two or three years? And how did you navigate the complexities of change as a leader yourself? So our big interesting thing that, I, that I'd say is the biggest change we had was when you are sitting face to face with someone and you're in person in a workshop, you can grab a lot of subtle clues in terms of body language, tone. Are they paying attention to their phone more than they're paying mm. attention to you? And there's a learning environment. There's this energetic learning environment that gets created. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love being with people and I think that it really works better but sometimes the cost of moving a physical body from one place to another may, creates a lot of complexity that it doesn't have to be that way. So I think the biggest thing that we learned was how to recreate what we always call ourselves. We call ourselves edutainers, edutainment mm. with purpose. So we're entertaining, which is important for adult learning, and we're also educating. And trying to do that virtually. How do you create that edutainment experience? We can't do experiential learning pieces that we used to do all the time that would really flesh out the providing information in our sessions. And so what we learned was how do you watch? How do you encourage people to be online? How do you get all of your clues just from their faces? That's a great point. And when you think about that, the it's, it's still focused and framed around people, but technology is now a capability multiplier, if you will. And when you think about that technology, technology is going to multiply whatever it multiplies. If people are having a positive experience, it's going to make that even better. If people are having a negative experience, it's going to make it even worse. And that's one of the reasons when I'm working with financial brands and we're guiding them through their, their digital growth journey, they often think that it is all about technology. And I'm like, no, technology is one half of the equation. The other half, and probably even the more complex piece of this is is the human element. Um, and I, I think about one organization right now who is in the Digital Growth University. They're having some very challenging and tough conversations uh, from the knowledge that they're gaining, but more specifically from the awareness of where the leadership team is um, and how they aren't exactly 100% aligned. And so that's where I think human transformation must proceed or at least work in conjunction with quote unquote digital transformation and human transformation begins with, I would say the awareness of the self. And I know that y'all spend a lot of time focused on awareness. What's your take on this idea of awareness in relationship to human transformation? So it's so interesting. You would say that your market that you work with is financial institutions because our market for the most part are financial institutions as well. Small ones where it's an individual advisor working with their clients, so a small team of two or three or 10. But we also work with the two of the largest Canadian banks, well, with all of the largest Canadian banks and a number of large American banks. Uh, and some of them are huge. Like when you have 100,000 people in an organization, the decisions that you make are quite fascinating. And I've, I've found a couple of things digitally because we do work with the digital teams. And sometimes those can be very quick and sometimes they can be quite slow. Yeah. And uh, and there's a couple of jokes that we've been telling about sort of some of our financial advising companies. It's like they all want to be agile 
and they all want to be and and then so I kind of laugh and I go really agile what does that mean to you so they redefine agile to be bank agile as opposed to market agile right. and there is bank speed versus market speed cuz they are not market speed they can get very excited about significant changes for them in terms of how they work together and the biggest thing that they're working on with teams right now is matrix teams as opposed to hierarchical teams. Mhm. But it's all because they're trying to transform their speed to be more what the digital can, world can offer. Right. The challenge with a human team, a regular human team is they are very hierarchical. And organizations are driven by who's in the meeting, what did they say, do I get on board, how does this work, and then how do we carry this out in a safe, effective way? And that can be much slower than how the digital pace occurs, which is experiment, retrench, turn around, experiment again. But human beings take a long time to learn. And you know you're Colby and you know that you're very attracted to high risk situations and you're very comfortable operating in uncertainty with limited information. Yeah. However, a lot of bankers are the opposite. Correct. They they need a lot of detail information which takes time and they're risk adverse. So our teams are really trying to be both what the market needs but also who they naturally are and that's not always in alignment. I want to pause you here because you bring up Colby and as I mentioned before Audrey and I have discussed this going back to episode 124 but for though the 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 listeners who did not catch that and we do have a global audience and there are financial brand leaders from the C-suite to SVP to VP marketing sales ops service I can pretty much say the majority of them are going to be initiating fact finders or initiating <laughs> follow throughs so I wanted to slow this down for them um, and being very aware of the dear listener. Let's pause on this because I want to come back to two points. You mentioned the the hierarchical structure versus more of the matrix or the cross-functional teams. And how does Colby play into this? And maybe we can just pause. Let's unpack Colby first and then work backwards into the team alignment here. So give us give us an overview of Colby and what I'm talking about that is common language to people like you and I you know, fact finding and follow through and quick start and, and you're aware of my Colby profile. Let's, let's, let's start there. Sure. So there's a lot of ways that we function as human beings and there's three major categories. One category is our intelligence, usually termed our IQ. The official word for it is cognitive. The second major category is our affective, our feelings, our personality, our values. Colby doesn't measure either of those, although they're really important. I mean, working with a smart person versus working with a not so smart person, you get different results. Working with an honest, engaged person versus someone who's dishonest and disengaged, you get different results. What Colby is, is it's the Colby A index specifically from uh, Phoenix, Arizona is Colby Core. Kathy Colby was the one that figured out how to measure what your third part of how we function is called the conative. And conative is our natural problem solving instincts. And as you mentioned, there's four different ways that you can measure, and we all have some mental energy built into us on those conative instincts. And one measure is how much we need to gather and share information called fact finder. One measure is how we need to create structure and organization called follow through. One measure is called quick start, which is how we engage with risk and uncertainty. And implementer is the fourth one, which is how we actually have a need to demonstrate or to understand things conceptually. 
your combination is always where you land on each of those four measures. It's a one to 10 scale for all of them, and they're not correlated. So if I can be so bold as to talk about your three, two, nine, four, <laughs> knowing that about you, I know you are very, very experimental. You do things on deadline and not before. You are willing to take huge risks, and hopefully you're an honest person who is also smart, so those risks pay off and don't hurt anyone else, but there's no guarantee on that because Conative has no correlation to each of those other two. It also means you don't need a lot of information to jump in and make decisions. You really push back on anything that's too structured and makes you into a straitjacket, but you also need things to be somewhat tangible. So when you go to buy physical equipment like your wonderful studio, you are gonna spend the maximum amount of money you can talk yourself into to get the best possible quality because you need that quality engagement. So that's a little bit about what I would know about you. And at full disclosure, my result is a 6644, which as I'm in the 10% of the group called facilitators mm -hmm. or mediators. I'm, I have nothing like you have where it's like you initiate the need to generate and innovate new ideas and, new, and take on new tasks. I'm very responsive. So I love our format where you ask me a question and I get to respond to it because it taps into my natural way of actually operating. Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown. Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply. I appreciate you unpacking that and I want to stay on it for just a little bit longer because yeah. when we look at the traditional makeup of teams within an organization, leadership teams, C-suite teams, SVP teams, they tend to initiate by fact-finding or by following through building, maintaining systems, but they are more likely to be resistant to quick-starting anything, which is where I tend to come in and ruffle some things up and maybe initiate some action, all in a very good, positive way. Uh, and what what is important to be aware of since we're talking about self-awareness here knowing that the dear listener is probably initiating some type of fact finding or follow through with just their own uh mo it's interesting you would say that because i think you'd be surprised how many different kinds of listeners you have you are targeting people that are innovative they are trying to do something different they're trying to be entrepreneurs or maybe they're actually entrepreneurs typically your your result your actual um way your combination is a very typical entrepreneur. You would have been very difficult for you to actually work for someone else unless you had a real need to do that or they could figure out how to harness you with some guardrails to kind of keep you contained. Otherwise, you would have been bouncing all over the place and changing jobs and companies all the time. I've already told my wife if this ever, and I've been doing this for 20 plus years, that if for whatever reason this just blows up, I'm driving a truck across the United States and Canada. I'm gonna be by myself. That would keep you occupied for a few weeks. <laughs> but then you'd come up with something new. That's exactly right. All that quiet time by myself. Absolutely. So long quick certs like yourself, if that's what we're talking about, your initiating action and your most dominant, is that you actually do need to try new things. And our experience has been entrepreneurs are typically long quick start. But in addition, we have a whole history of finding a bunch of executives that are long quick start. 
because they, they try new things and experiment and push forward. Now, if you're talking traditional banks and financial institutions, you're absolutely yep. right. If you don't have at least a mid-range on the fact finder or a long fact finder, I mean, typically in the population, about 25% of the population is what we call long, a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 in fact finder. In banks, it's 70 to 100%. Yes. So very detail-oriented. And oddly, they don't necessarily lead with their follow-through, but they actually react in the follow-through. And so the interesting part about that is the existing systems and processes that got them where they are are the same ones that they try to keep using to get where they want to go in the future. Uh. And so they get a bit bogged down in, oh, wait, we're, this has always been what we did before. We're going to keep doing what we did before, but we're going to layer on more. Like the system's going to get band-aided just to keep doing more and more and more. Whereas you would just blow up the system and start from scratch and then change it all the time. So it's a very different experience. But to go back what you're talking about with teams, what you will probably find is that most people are most comfortable with similar conatives. Mm. So if you are a long quick start, you happen to be attracted to someone who's really special in your life, your wife, who's also a long quick start. And you surround yourself by other people in whatever groups you're in who are also long quick starts because their methodology of solving problems resonates with you. And you're kind of like, hey, this is great playmates. Yeah. In banks and financial institutions, it's the same. They filter for people that need to have a long fact finder. And anyone who doesn't is often filtered out. Not that they aren't capable and that they don't need them because they do. They just don't know how to keep them in house and keep them engaged. I want to come back to a point you mentioned before when you were talking about the in-person uh, educational experiences. You used mm -hmm. a key word, energy. And when we think about Colby and the energy that it takes, let's, let's stick on this point here for just a bit, particularly when it comes to team and team alignment, more specifically uh, team matrices or, or cross-functional teams and how you can blend energies together and why that is good. What could be some of the potential challenges that come from this blending as well? Absolutely. And so we work with a lot of teams. There's functional teams where you can think about like a team of accountants or like accounts payable clerics or a team of whatever. Often they're clones of one another mm. because they're doing the same job, like a swim team all in their same lane, but their results roll up together. And we call them team because we call lots of things a team. Yeah. But Colby is very predictive on cross on teams that are trying to achieve something together, a collaborative team. Think about an executive team that actually does have to solve problems together rather than just reporting out. Or you think about like, it's like a, if you think about a basketball team, basketball teams, five players on the court, they're passing the ball back and forth. They depend on one another. In a interactive collaborative team, which a lot of the matrix teams are trying to become and suffering a bit from the, this is brand new and weird, but we can see the value. You want them to be cross-functional. You want them to actually have a synergy. And the natural synergy is best if you have a, a, a good balance of people that initiate action, like say a gas pedal in a car, like you do in Quick Start, or people that counteract and prevent in certain yes. amounts, like a brake in a car, like you do in your follow-through and your, and your fact finder. 
But in the middle zone where you have that implementer, where I'm a four too in implementers, so I totally get the spend as much on technology as you reasonably can force the budget to do. Right. And and so in the middle, you want enough in that middle. I always call it the stick shift. But no one drives standard anymore, so they never know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but but if you can have a right percentages, those percentages of energy really create a team that is measurably more productive yeah. to solve problems faster and more efficiently than individuals on their own or teams that are cloned. Yes. Let's talk about cognitive cloning for just a bit because <laughs> I think, once again, we do see some of this in the traditional financial services space, not necessarily like the fintech side of things, which I would view as more entrepreneurial in nature, but maybe an incumbent bank or an incumbent credit union, what are the the points to be aware of when it comes to cognitive cloning for team alignment, uh, efficiency, and productivity? So think about the fintech and how you said that they're different from traditional banks. I would totally agree with you, but I would say they probably clone as well. Uh, A lot of them are startups, but Mm -hmm. they clone with long quick start. So they're willing to take bigger and bigger risks. And we've seen some of the problems with that when they get excited about, (laughs) hey, this cool new idea and they launch something and then maybe they didn't follow all of the regulatory rules or they didn't think through what some of the downsides could be. And then you get traditional banks where there is a lot of cloning in terms of the rank and file in a traditional FI is, you're right, very fact finder driven, very accommodating in the follow through. So we're going to keep and very risk adverse. Yes. So they don't take on change very quickly. Any of those teams can be cloned and they clone themselves maybe so that's how their work gets done best. Mm. But in terms of working together to solve the future problems, their cloning isn't necessarily all that useful. And even in the, you know, the fintechs, they're trying things out rapidly and they're pushing the boundaries, which is awesome. And they're dragging the established FIs into the future. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to burn themselves some of the times, too. And that's just what an entrepreneur does. They take those risks and sometimes they pay the price for it. And that's where we've seen, you know, if if we were having this conversation back in 2014, 2015, 2016, I think a lot of the incumbents would be looking at fintech as, well, that's a competitive, quote unquote, threat. Mm. I'm so happy to see the narrative beginning to shift that, ah, they're not competition. They're collaboration opportunities that they have capabilities that we don't have and we have capabilities that they don't have. So competition just goes away and we look for ways to work together to create something that was not even you know possible on our own, back to your point here. Since we're on the subject of, of, of self-awareness and, and you do work within financial services too, what we're talking about can be perceived perhaps by some as touchy-feely. Um, <laughs> You know, we're talking about the humanities here. How do you overcome some of that perhaps resistance to talking about this within leadership, within teams? Because I think when you overcome that, that's where you start to unlock real human potential going forward. I think that people sometimes forget when they get so task oriented about technology or money Mm. or business that they forget the only reason any of those things exist is because of the people. Yeah. 
not only have the people created them initially, but the people are the ones that use them and you're your target market. And if you forget that people are the thing, you're really losing out on the potential of what could occur. Technology enables human creativity. You know, the idea of coming together in a team was so you could be more productive together, not so yes. you could keep doing subsistence farming totally on your own and be at the risk. So, you know, there is no purpose of technology if it's not for the people. So when we talk about touchy-feely, and you're right, we do get that sometimes where it's like, oh yeah, we could never use this with our legal team. It's like, oh yeah, I have to tell you, we've worked with every kind of team at every kind of organization, <laughs> and people are people. And there's yes. a few basic things. People tend to be very competitive, especially if they are an achievement-oriented, and we typically work with executive leaders, so they're very competitive. And one of the things we get them to do first off in our workshop sessions when they're in person is they work with Duplo blocks. Oh. And they kind of look at you and go, Duplo blocks? And we're like, yep. And then they get into it. Yeah. Because they're, people have their number one favorite topic is themselves. And our workshops are all about you trying to understand you better so you can be more self-aware, so you can better self-manage. Yes. Are you a bull in a china shop or are you actually leading the charge? And then from that, great mutual understanding. I think it's awesome that you have your wife's Colby and you have everyone on your team's Colby because then you can know when you might stress them out or when you can tap into their best potential to be a great partner. Yes. Differences can be conflict or they can be wonderful collaboration. And then from that, when everybody knows it, the whole team knows it, team effectiveness goes up. And our whole goal is to help lead people to new levels of achievement because they're working better together. And leverage the technology, leverage all the other things, but do it because you're supporting the people of being their best selves. So touchy-feely, sure, but not really. Yeah. I like the Duplo box uh, example, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. I, I think here in the age of AI, one of the greatest advantages for future growth, particularly as a financial brand leader, is going back to being a curious kindergartner. Um, I, I want to get your take on this because you're talking about adult learning and why edutainment is is key here. Um, I feel that some, you know, reach a, a place in life that, you know, they, they think they've reached the pinnacle, um, that they know all that there is to know about the subject matter expertise that they have gained. Although I'm starting to challenge some of that and take more of a Socratic approach to, I know, I know nothing kind of a thing, uh, particularly as AI is showing us that the intelligence that AI brings is exponential to what we bring as human beings. And, and then we'll move, maybe move into what, what the potential is for humanity in the age of AI. But when, when it comes to adult learning in the age of AI, being a curious kindergartner, committing back to that type of a mindset, what holds us back from making that commitment? I think it's because we get serious and I think because the work world and also the education system is based on cognitive. It's based on intelligence. You're supposed to learn these things and demonstrate your intelligence and your intelligence can solve every problem. And we have TV shows that reinforce that, movies, books. We look to people that are intelligent. We measure whether someone's worth is how intelligent they are. Mm. And one of the things I was so fascinated about Kathy Colby's work when I, I learned about it 
a very long time ago, is that uh, that means that I'm experienced, not anything else. Um, <laughs> and so what's neat about that is that she, so Kathy Colby's actually, her father was EF Wonderlick who created the Wonderlick IQ test. So she grew up with this whole idea of IQ the whole time. And so he was very about IQ, which was very useful. It was the first way we could measure. It was easy to measure. There's right and wrong answers. And then, you know, about a century ago, we started to get into, okay, it's great to know your IQ, but what's your personality? What's your value? And there's a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists and therapists and all kinds of self-help books and books out there that talk about this in, this idea of interpersonal connection communication, which I think is great too. It's really important too. But you can have a really smart person and you can have a really personable person and they're still not that effective because they haven't tapped into their cognitive instincts, their yes. coldly measured cognitive instincts of solving problems. I could describe an absolutely horrendous job for you that you would be more than intelligent to do and you would actually maybe commit to it personally because you could see the value of doing it. Maybe what we should do for you is put you in a little studio with not talking to anyone else. And every day we should give you 25 spreadsheets with detailed information about AI and digital banking and all kinds of interesting things. And then we want you to summarize those all down to one thing. And we want to like and do that analysis. You're smart enough to do it. You probably have the skills. And if you really needed to, you could commit to it. But it wouldn't be very long before there'd be blood somewhere, either because you went crazy or because you actually wanted to hurt yourself because it was just so hard on your natural problem solving. So you know what I would do in that situation? And I want to, I want to like, yeah, go for it. Jump into this because my mind is like, okay, well, what would happen if that? Because I'm now initiating my quick start. Perfect. You, you give me 25 spreadsheets. I'm going to feed all of that into Chat GPT and tell me Chat GPT summarize this, and then I'll make a video and communicate it back out to the world. <laughs> and and that is a very interesting way that you would then do it. And I think about digital. And I think about technology. And what I look at is it's meant to be an enabler, not a replacer. Yeah. And and so you would innovate that way of doing it, which is a great way of innovating. There are other people out there that wouldn't want that innovation because they would dive right into that kind of analysis and they would love it. Yes. And so, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yes. But when you can tap, but how could we then take those people and go, AI isn't to replace you, it's to leverage you. You still need to make the leaps. Machines are brilliant because they're fast, not because they know what they're doing. I mean, I think that's very simplistic. But human beings have leaps. They have leaps of innovation. They have leaps of, in, in, of curiosity. They have leaps of ways of figuring things out that have never been done before. Machines typically, typically, unless I'm getting AI wrong, are like, let's do the one thing we do really, really fast, but we do it so fast that we make it look like we're making leaps. You know, that's a great point because it's it's a it's a enabler. It is a augmentation to the capabilities that we have to do them even that much better, not to replace us. And one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about, particularly within the financial services space in the age of AI, and, and probably multiple verticals for that matter, mm-hmm. is we attach so much of our identity to what we do. Like think about like when we're out you know, meeting someone, what do you do? And then we respond to that and how much of that is actually attached to our identity as an individual, as a soul, basically. 
But then AI is going to come in and we have the perception of, oh my gosh, like that could get disrupted. But I'm already thinking of what are all of the other things that are going to be created in in the top of my mind right now, you know, as of recording, we're about three or four months post introduction of AI to the mass human consciousness, chat GPT being launched on November 30th, 2022, um, prompt engineers being able to Mm. prompt the AI with the proper questions to get the outcome or the result that we're looking for, I feel is going to be a key skill that has to be learned over time. Um, Because if I go back to 1994, when the internet reached the mass consciousness of humanity, using a search engine was foreign to so many people. But now knowing my Colby and I'm initiating quick start, well, I just jumped in and figured it out and learned it very, very quickly and then started teaching other people like how to search. I think about my wife though at the time who was, you know, she's first generation Lebanese. So they didn't really have a computer or anything growing up. To watch her Google search back in 90, you know, 6, 97, 98, 99, I'm like, why are you searching that way? And it was very curious into that. So I think that we're, we can take lessons from the past and apply them to the present about this idea of being able to prompt, but it's detaching from what we do, taking time to pause and review the the, the lessons learned through those experiences the, to then think about how we could use technology or other capabilities, other people um, even, um, to do even better through the next iteration. But it's this constant need to reinvent is, is, is that, am I off with this thinking here or? I think that what you're summarizing, if I was going to say them to paraphrase, it's like judge someone by their questions, not by their answers. And so the skill that you're describing, I think is the ability to come up with really good, interesting questions that then can be answered by our personal digital assistants, which is, I mean, we already carry around what? Siri and Alexa and the mall in our pocket. And so yeah. then it's like that the next stage though is going to be, I, I, I'm a huge sci-fi geek and I just <laughs> love Star Trek. I'm a total geek when it comes to it. And I live for the day that you can go computer and, and it does things. It doesn't work very well yet, but you have to frame what you want from them to get the response you want. Otherwise they easily misinterpret it. Yes. Whereas human beings are still much better at picking up on cues in conversation. I'm really fascinated with language. And I think one of the things about language is you have both the regular what that dictionary meaning of a word is, but you have all the emotions attached to it. Mm. And I'm wondering how, you know, digital assistants are going to be absorbing the emotional attachment to how you use Mm. a word versus the technical attach a technical definition of a word because they're not the same and they can change. And once again, that's coming back to the idea of having some type of subject matter expertise around whatever that that knowledge base might be so that you have are able to apply the context to identify is is this the right context? Is this the incorrect context? I think about my 10 year old daughter who recently did a project on the emerald ash borer, which is a an insect that is destroying ash trees. And she did all the research. And then I said, let's just do an experiment because she had to have a couple of deliverables presentation. And, you know, it was a lot of different deliverables in her own, whatever she wanted to do. So I said, let's write a book. She wanted to write a book. So I said, well, let's go to chat GPT. I want to show you this. So we, we collaborated with chat GPT to write a children's book about the Emerald Ash Borer. It took about an hour of prompting 
to get the correct context. But because she did the research and she had the subject matter expertise, she was able to say on those first, you know, five, six, seven iterations, this isn't correct. This isn't correct. So it was about then going back and reprompting and asking other questions to then get the output to sh- to, until she was finally satisfied with the creation, if you will. And then we took all of that copy and then we ran it through Dolly and illustrated the book and then went over to Canva, loaded all of that into Canva and printed a hardback book and then took the 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 copy, ran it through a voice AI and did an audiobook, all of that with a video, all of that in about seven hours. So, so it's so good that she did all this work on her homework on her own. It's collaboration. Yeah, collaboration with her dad, who was helping her a lot with her homework. Whereas, you know, parents that help, it's just an interesting idea. It's funny you would say that because we're thinking the same way. Uh, last year, we created a new module called the Confidence Cultivator, which was mm. all about how you can actually build confidence. So 2021 was about the Resilience Cultivator, and we did a lot of that. And then we know that this year is going to be more about confidence. Well, when we developed it, you had to do a lot of your own searches and you had a little, a lot of information. So we ran the same kind of, um, why should I say we, my husband, Wayne, ran the same kind of test. What if you asked ChatGPT to actually summarize all the most important confidence killers and confidence builders? And the key list that came back was the same list that he had actually done all the research on and then we had edited down and yeah. it was pretty close. So we could have saved ourselves a bunch of time to get to the same result and then you're doing the opposite. You're getting your daughter's ability to do really great research to prompt it. So we would do the flip. We would ask for the research and then edit it down. You asked, she did the research and now you're going to get it to build up. So yeah. it's interesting, but it's all human beings managing that, right. managing it for their own style, right? Using the technology and to compensate for where they come along versus something else. You bring up an interesting word that I've been thinking a lot about, particularly over the past few weeks since uh, the failure of SVB um, and the perceived banking crisis. Um, I've been sharing content and thoughts around that this is rooted more deeply in a confidence crisis that is tied very closely to a communication crisis. How would you define confidence and, and why is it important to consider this as a capability to build up within an organization, within individuals, within teams, so then we can continue to maximize growth going forward into the future. So I'm an economist by my background training, way, 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 way back in the distant past. And one of the things that you talk about is the only difference between being in a robust economy versus being in a recession or depression is the overall summary of confidence in the, in the marketplace. Yeah. So confidence is everything. With confidence, you can do virtually anything, no matter how hard it appears. Without it, doing anything is very, very difficult. So confidence to me is the belief that you can achieve and Mm. actually be successful, even if you don't know what you're doing. And so what we looked at, why we wanted to cultivate confidence is because I think during the pandemic, resilience was how do you survive an unknown situation but people weren't necessarily trying to create new things in that situation. They were just trying to get through it. Yeah. And so now we've gotten through it and we're on the other side and we have to go back to, if we're not going to have it all fall apart, we actually have to figure out how we can achieve things that we don't know what it's going to look like. And when you're focusing, and it's so interesting, you're focusing on digital growth. That's such an amazingly interesting thing is how can you change how you're going to do things 
Well, no one knows what the future is going to be like. No one has that lock on it. So you just got to plunge ahead. Yeah. And I think people like you with your conative and your willingness to experiment and innovate and potentially fail, yeah. but having the confidence that you can succeed allows those the rest of us, like myself, who love following you. I don't want to be the initial troop going right out of the, you know, out of the van, but I'm very comfortable to be in the van and be the one that comes second or third. Not first, sure. but second or third. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people like me that want to follow where you're going to lead. And then there's going to be people that'll trail. Well, they're going to have to come eventually, but I sure. can see why they're trailing. As we start to wrap up here, you know, we, we've talked a lot about team and team alignment um, and how working within um, an individual's cognitive strengths and then also the team. There are a lot of different tools and we've focused a lot on, on, on Colby, but then there's DISC, there's Clifton Strength Finders. You know, if someone is listening and they want to take a more of a, an ancient Greek philosophy of knowing thyself. And I even think of like the writing of, of, of Sun Tzu and the art of war. If one knows thyself and knows the enemy, they need not fear the result of a thousand battles, but it all starts with knowing the self, all of these tools. What do I pick? What do I choose? How do I know I'm picking the right one for myself, for my team, for my organization? Can you provide some clarity around that? Because I know that there might be some confusion as to many that we have worked with have never heard of Colby. They've heard of DISC and they've heard of, you know, Clifton Strength Finders. But how, how does one pick and are they complementary to each other? So I go back to one thing I would say is if you know yourself, then anything is possible. If you don't know yourself, then you're really going blind. Mm. And I really look at teams and I would say, if you're trying to do team development, sometimes it doesn't matter what the tool is so much as the journey. But if you yeah. choose the right tool, you have much more potential success on the journey. You know, if I'm going to go into the desert, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be picking skis, snow skis. Like, that's <laughs> not going to work so well. Uh, so when I think about it, I look at Usually people don't want to know about their cognitive and you can't necessarily change that, but you can certainly, we do a lot of focus on skills training when we yeah. need to do, so particularly like, do you need to know how to use chat GTP? Yeah, but you also need to know how to use like a keyboard. So, okay, great. If I'm thinking about our clients that come to us and they have team issues and it's a communication issue or it's a personality challenge where the leader being maybe too direct or too dominant or whatever, I will often move them into the disc sphere because that is about communication and personality and it can really transform people's understanding about how to interact with other people. Right. If you're trying to do a self-discovery of how do, who do we wanna be and how do we wanna describe ourselves, Clifton Strengths from the Gallup organization is wonderful, but there's tons of other tools in that same sphere and both of those land in that affective personality sphere. Yeah. But if I have my choice, if I have my druthers, I always choose Colby first for two reasons. Number one, it's about how you solve problems and work, if anything, to get away from the, it's too fluffy. You right. wanna actually say, how does this work? This is about how you solve problems and you can be provably more effective. Yes. And the language that Kathy Colby wrote is always positive. Yes. Everyone scores a perfect score. Yes. It's always about how do you, and even simple things like, it's a bar graph of four bars but they start at the top of the page and we say you're long in something or short in something. And I think a lot, like if I'm aware of my height, cause I'm pretty tall, I'm almost six foot four. My long legs are super useful when I'm in a tight connection going through an air airport and I have to get from gate to gate. It right. works well. 
and then I go and sit on a plane for three hours and it doesn't work so well. Yep. Yeah, but you do it. It's not an excuse for what you can't do. But when you know yourself, then you can actually put yourself into situations that are better fit for you. So your success is more fun, more enjoyable, more guaranteed. And you can appreciate a lot of other people. I remember talking to someone before he did his Colby and he thought, everyone in the world just like me, only not as good. <laughs> and what he realized very quickly is he was good at the things he was orienting himself towards and he was ignoring the stuff that he wasn't. And other mm. people were really good in those areas and hence the teamwork that is possible and then that much more. And I think about what technology can do to support all that. Like yes. it's not a replacement. It's a support of our natural need to be successful personally and to actually engage with others. That's a great way to wrap this up, Ross. And thank you for sharing your knowledge, your insight, your experience, your expertise. For someone who wants to get to know you better, what's the best way for them to reach out, connect with you and say hello? Well, it's funny you would say that. Our company name is Reach Capabilities. So reachcapabilities.com. There's a lot of eyes in the capabilities, but it's ours. And also, I happen to have one of those wonderful names that if you Google search me, I'm pretty much one of the first ones because Ross Slater, there's not a lot of us on the interwebs. So you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, Plus, but our website has everything. And it's a great place with all the links to all the things we've been talking about today too. Fantastic. Connect with Ross, learn with Ross, Google Ross, and grow with Ross. Ross, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun. It's been my pleasure. You're an excellent interview, and I loved our conversation. It was so much fun. We were doing work now, weren't we? I'm not sure. It was so much fun. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. As always, until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.